Good morning. So good to see you all. My name is Pastor Scott. I am, uh, I am joyful this morning. I am excited to be here this morning. I am so glad you're here this morning as we wrap up the sermon series on the book of Philippians. And I can't speak for you, but for myself, uh, the scriptures have been coming alive. The, the challenge is real, uh, but the joy that comes from these pages as we get to today, uh, profound. Challenge also present. Last week we talked about do not be anxious, and I was like, gosh, how do we hold that intention with a, with a modern word t- telling us to be anxious all the time? And today we get a message even, even more, maybe perhaps, difficult about contentment and about being grounded in Christ. And I promise you that the scriptures are meant today to come alive for us all, whether we're at the beginning of a journey with Christ or we've been walking for many decades. Uh, these words from Paul to the church in Philippi ring true today that we can be content in Christ as the fuel to our entire faith journey. Let me say a prayer and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, for these people. Thank you for the dedication of Ronaldo. And Lord, how we waited for him and how we want to welcome him into this church. Lord, we have some brave people in this church that are loving well and adopting and fostering and just being your hands and feet. We pray now, Lord, as, as we open the scriptures that you open our lives that we would be more like you as we uh, learn more about your word. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. And all God's people said, amen. Philippians, week six, chapter four. We're going to go verse 10 through the end. Um, The message is entitled today, Be Rooted. Be Rooted. And if you have uh, sermon notes, which you should, there's a little text box on your notes. Take a look at your your box, and I have an assignment for you. We're going to be talking about... Uh, Philippians 4 today, if you were to draw a tree, I would like you to do that now as I tell you a story about a tree. So there's a little box I'd like you to draw a picture of a tree. When you think of a tree in your yard, whatever, draw a tree. This is your tactile experiment right now. You can draw while I talk. And while you draw, I will tell you about recently, last month, vacation with my family in Hawaii, wonderful uh, they say you can't live there, and when I've gone, I think they're wrong. I think we could, you know, let's do Bethany Maui, maybe. Who's with me? Uh, but there's this wonderful tree in the middle of Lahaina. This tree is this, is this amazing, huge banyan tree. And if you've been to Lahaina, and some of you have, um, it's incredible because the tree, and this is it, it covers the entire block. And so if you park, Lahaina is kind of the, you know, one of the little towns in Maui, but this is one tree. And it doesn't quite make sense until you start to walk around and see the way in which the roots of the tree are growing from all around the tree. The tree takes up literally an entire city block and is made up of all these different parts of the same tree. And the roots are actually growing down. The roots of a banyan tree, which is a type of fig tree, uh, it's, it's an uh, epiphyte. And so as the seeds fall from a banyan, wherever they fall, they sprout roots and and grow into the ground. So it is constantly dropping seeds, and and the seeds are growing roots. And so the roots are literally growing all over the place, and you can't necessarily distinguish what's a root and what's a branch, and it's incredible. It's also not perfect, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it was staggering to me that the size, the network, the impact, the legacy of this banyan tree, these aerial roots hanging down, taking root wherever they touch the ground, seeds dropping everywhere. I was vastly impressed with the importance of roots. So look at your tree that you drew. 
And if you're anything like me, I was given this task at a conference I went to. It probably looks, most of us draw a tree with, with a, a trunk and with branches and with fruit. But actually, we talked about this in the fall when we talked about gathered community. Over half of, of a tree structure happens below ground. And this is just a simple drawing that Jordan, who did announcements for us, she's an artist, and she made me, made me this drawing this week. I think it's beautiful. And it's accurate that though when we see a tree, we see the above ground fruitfulness, root, the roots are what sustain it. And we talked about that already in the fall, that, that roots actually are called a network or a neighborhood. And there's no such thing with above ground health without below ground rootedness. And so when Paul comes to the end of, of Philippians, he's reminding the people in Philippi, be rooted. As my family and I in January walked around this tree, my son literally, he made this comment, and it was so impressive to me. He said, you know, this all came from one seed, the seed of Christ, the original tree, and it did. But what's impressive as you walk around this banyan tree is it keeps dropping seed. It keeps growing. It keeps spreading. It keeps being shaped. And in the same way, Paul comes to this conclusion of this joyful, challenging, beautiful little book and says, church, I want you to fuel on, 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 the, on the fruit of Christ to be your rootedness. And if you focus on Christ, Paul is saying 2,000 years ago to the church in Philippi, he's saying this morning to us, the church in North King and South Snohomish County, that the rootedness of your faith is in Christ. And so continue to grow. And then he gives this kind of acute challenge at the end of chapter 4 about contentment and community and about how contentment and community are interconnected, all rooted in Christ. We have to learn to be content. We must learn. As Blaise Pascal said, you know, centuries ago, it remains true today. All of humanity's problems stem from humans' inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And if last week was part one, that at times, church, we're very anxious as Americans, it is also true that we are largely discontent. This morning, from the end of Philippians 4, we will learn the secret, says Paul, to contentment. Contentment in Christ. This is our big idea that we'll align under today. The contentment in Christ, the contentment in Christ fuels a life of both personal joy and mutual commitment as we find our identity in him. We're going to be talking about mutual transformation as we're committed to, to the shared work of Christ that has personal impact, that we might become more content in who Jesus is in our life. So let's look at what will be the kind of the bulk of, of the teaching this morning out of our first point of contentment. Contentment was just read to you from verses 10 through 13 if you have your Bibles along. I don't need to read it again. But Paul has this beautiful little passage about contentment. And I need you to understand the context because there's these financial terms and, and there's talk of an offering and what they gave and, and this and that. And I need to, the, the context of Philippians 4 is the church in Philippi has been tremendously generous with Paul. Now Paul, remember, is a prisoner in Rome. And I just personally think context matters so much for us. So these words about contentment, last week anxiety, they're not forged on the mountaintop in Paul's life. They're not forged on some sort of day of Pentecost as, as thousands are coming to faith and, and, and there's glory. No, it's, it's in the jail cell. 
And so everything Paul is saying here, he's saying, trust me, I know how hard this is. But in the midst of this challenge, Paul's saying, be content. And he's, the church in Philippi has taken this literal offering. They have done it over and over again. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I didn't want to burden you, the church in Corinth, who's having struggles with maturity. He's like, because my guys in Philippi, they've got my back. They were the generous church. He talks about it in a number of his different letters. And so they have given generously to Paul. Now, why does that matter? He's a, you know, we think of kind of like contraband, like what did they give him, a shiv for like, no, no. This, in, in first century Rome, prisoners were not allocated any food or resources. So in first century Rome, where Paul is a prisoner in Rome, Roman, Roman Empire, they didn't, they didn't provide for the prisoners. Why does that matter? Well, if you didn't have a network, if you didn't have a family of faith, if you didn't have friends, you'd starve. Oh, you mean like metaphorically? No, you, you would rot and you would be unfed. And so the church in Philippi literally sends money through carriers to Rome in which Paul is able to buy staples to survive. And if you're like me, you're like, okay, that'll preach. Like if, if we don't have a network, if we don't have you know, people to, to walk with us, if the shoemakers don't have people praying with them, if they don't have a deeper faith when they, when they hit these obstacles, because we will hit these obstacles, we won't be fed. We can't survive. And Paul's saying, you, the church in Philippi, you have been generous to me, and, and that's been my provision. And so then he gets to this verse 12, verse 13, and if you're, a, if, you know, if you're an app person because you love the technology, I, I love you, heaven, heaven help you, that's good too. There's something about the word of God being in paper. There's something about the word of God being able to be carried that you don't need to charge it at night. There's something about the word of God that you can underline and circle and be a map for your road ahead. And if you have a paper Bible and a pen, I hope that verses 12 and 13 are circled or underlined or start. I was raised, you know, we, we, when I grew up in a Baptist church, we had Bibles with the carriers. Some of you have carriers. It's beautiful. But I was scared of like marking up the Bible. The Bible is our roadmap to Christ. And the more that it becomes our map, it can keep guiding us. And so in verse 12, 13, for me, circle, underline, so you can see where it's been a, a part of your journey in the past. So look at verse 12 and 13. Paul says, I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength and provides for me, and who loves me. And Paul is saying, verse 12 goes with 13. That, that, that I know what it is to be in need or to have plenty. This contrast at times. We might want to lift you know, 13 out of context and put it on a t-shirt, put it on a poster, put it on a screen there. It's good. I do all this through him who gives me strength. It's, it begins in verse 12. That life won't always be easy. And that we can, at times, hit roadblocks. Paul's saying, I've learned in both the good and the bad. I've learned in every situation that Christ can be depended on. That lasting fulfillment and purpose and joy is this rootedness in my true identity in Christ. And Paul has something to teach us, church, that we can stop confusing our setting for our purpose. He's sitting in a jail cell. His setting is not good, but he knows that his purpose is to be rooted in Christ. 
He, he knows that his character is not being informed by his present challenges. And we might miss this if we so think that our present situation is God's entire story in our lives. Paul's saying, no, let's not miss it. The setting is not a purpose. His setting right now is challenged. He's learned, I have learned to be content in all situation because Jesus lives in me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're like, man, I, I, I failed. You know, I failed last week. I, I'm struggling at this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he lives in you. He lives in you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have power. You have riches. You have the ability to be content. I don't care about your jail cell. I know how hard it is. I've been in those cells. I have seen you hurt. I know. But let's stop confusing the cell for the promise. He lives in us. And when we tap into that power, we're bigger than the cell. And we won't be Pollyannas. We will not. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying the glory of the riches of Christ will live in you. Will you receive it? And so that each and every struggle, you can know contentment. Because when we take that challenge, we get peace. We get purpose. We get as this psalmist in Psalm 73 said, Whom have I in heaven but you? And having you, God, I desire nothing else on earth. Paul says this in verse 12. He says, I have learned the secret. And as we study this, I've told you many times, we study all the, the, the lead pastors. We study on Monday with Pastor Richard, and we write our sermons together. And one of the lead pastors said this. I wrote it down. I loved it. He says, you know, what do we do with this learned? And then one of the guys, one of the guys is like, well, contentment isn't an Easter egg. Like, you don't just, like, happen upon it. Oh, I'm fully content in every situation. There it is. Sweet. That's good. Ah, no. no, Paul's saying, this is, a, this is a skill that must be learned. This is a muscle that must be exercised. This contentment, you won't get it instantly. Paul says, I didn't get it. I still struggle with it, says Paul. I, I've prayed for the thorn in my flesh. It still is a struggle, but I press on, says Paul, to know the contentment. The glory of Christ is greater than the setting that I find myself in, and I want to learn that secret. What's the secret? That in all things... Christ gives us strength, and Christ will give to us, and Christ will allow us to grow through every challenge, and Christ is calling us away from anxiety and towards contentment, towards a joy that can be not forged by present experiences, only forged by the promise of intimacy with Jesus forever and present now. And church, I need you to hear this really, really clear, that your contentment is a declaration in trust that God will actually provide for you. Your contentment is a declaration that you believe that the promise is true. If you don't believe, you can't be content. Because if you don't believe that God will be good to you, if you don't believe that God has, you know, somebody that knows you in the future, that God has children for you or, or, or adoption in the future or enjoyment of your, of your singleness, if, if, if I can't believe that God is going to be good to me in the future, I will struggle with contentment each of my days. But if I believe that God will be good, I can lean into contentment now even while I wait for what's next. Our contentment is a declaration that we can trust. And the younger we are, the easier we are to trust. I don't know if you remember, if you were here some months ago, we did trust falls on stage. And I brought people up. And, and my point, we kind of played with it, was that 
it's hard to, you know, trust fall. I'm not going to do that now. But if any of you are in relationship with a little person, ask a young person to do a trust fall. It's easy for them. And the older we get, the harder it is to trust that somebody will catch us because we've been let down and we've been dropped. And oftentimes, the more times that you've had to pick yourself up off the floor, you say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to trust again. I'm not going to be hurt again. But the scriptures command us to have contentment now, even while we wait for what's next. Listen to this verse in 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Church, the point of our faith is maturing into a relationship of contentment with Jesus Christ. And I know it is not easy. I want to give you two cautions here about like, okay, contentment, yeah, I got it. But caution number one, you won't learn contentment without, says Paul, being both hungry and fed. Without being both rich and poor. And so Paul is acknowledging here, because this is what I love as you dig into the scriptures. There's no promise of an easy ride, but there's promise of a good ride, of the presence of God and the peace and the contentment we're called to is not dictated by a present setting, but the promise of God's presence in our life. And and Paul is saying here that God will provide for you in all things, even when not everything turns out the way you want. When you hurt, when you've been dropped, when you've been ripped open, you know, if you trust God, contentment is on the far side of that. These here in, in Philippians 4 become the basis of the Christian marriage vows. And anyone that's been married in the room knows that this is consistent with a marriage experience. That, hey, it's wonderful and difficult. I do pre-marriage counseling, and sometimes I just feel like negative Nancy sometimes. You know, it's like, they're excited, we're glowing, we're talking about cake and dresses and stuff, and I'm like, it's going to get hard, you know. <laughs> just trust me. <laughs> but it's good. You don't need to be married. Paul says that. And for our brave singles in the room, you are loved just as you are. You don't need somebody to complete you. And if I've failed you at times telling too many marriage metaphors, please forgive me. You're fully complete in who God said you are today. Amen. Amen. And if you're married, you know this to be true. That we will be content even while we hunger for better. And this is the mystery and the paradox of the Christian faith. Contentment today because of who Christ is in our life. Our roots. The second caution I want to give you here, it's... A smaller one, but even rich time, says Paul, can distract us from contentment in Christ. He says, you know, it's the secret. It wasn't easier when he was rich. It wasn't easier just necessarily being well-fed, though we might think that, because in our spirituality, comfort and contentment are easily mistaken one for another. The point of our faith is not comfort. The point of our faith is contentment in Christ. And so when we're uncomfortable, though that's not our favorable position... Know that Jesus will give us strength. And there's something to be gained in this uncomfortable time that we can only learn in this situation. We can only learn when we're hungry, when we're in pain, when we're struggling. Not saying we would ever choose, but if you're there this morning, there is hope. That the contentment's not just for the people that aren't in jail right now. 
And for any and all of us who want to follow Jesus, contentment is a possibility. You have everything you need. And you can't learn the very best parts of the faith if everything is always easy. How do I know? Because I lost a son. And I know at times I talk about him and then times I don't. But I need you to know that I get this. Because to be alive at all is to bear scars. And so if you have hurt, welcome to the club. And contentment in Christ is the only thing that can carry you through in every situation. Stop thinking that somehow if you had more, it would be easier. I was also an English teacher in my past, and there's this fabulous story by Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy called How Much Land Does a Man Need? You can look it up. It's a small little parable that he tells. And in this, in this parable, this, this, this Russian man wrestles with, you know, how much land would bring joy? And, and in the story, he hears of this land where they have this deal. If he pays a thousand rubles, uh, he gets all the land that he can walk up between sunup and sundown. There must be a catch, he thinks. There's not. You just set out and you walk and you, he carried a hoe and he just marked his, the boundary of what he walked. As long as he was back to the starting point before the sun went down, all that land can be his. And as he walked and marked his land, he kept wanting more and kept wanting more and kept wanting more. And sure enough, in the story, as the sun starts to descend, he realizes he's, he's claimed too much. He's wanted too much. He was not content with what he had. And so as he started to head back to the finish line, Tolstoy writes this compelling story of, of the man running and the sun setting and this feverish thing breaking out. And he's running and the sun setting. And finally, he reaches the finish line just as the sun gets down and he dives and he lands and the sun dips below, he's made it. And he's laying there face down at the finish line with his hoe next to him as blood spills out of him and he's killed himself in the pursuit of more. And it says in the story, his, his servant walks up and grabs the hoe and digs a place to bury him. And Tolstoy ends with, how much land does a man really need? And the, the servant says, about six feet from head to foot to bury him. That's all he needed. convicting super convicting because i'm out there with my hoe wanting just a little more little 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 this little more this little more god if you could do this we're filling in the blanks the secret of contentment in christ is saying i have enough because who christ is in me and yeah i want god to do some things out there it's okay to dream but today i'm choosing faith as my rootedness Paul continues on and gives this challenge in the next couple of verses about community. And the church in Philippi is starting to understand that the persecution is coming their way through the Roman Empire. And he's encouraging them to find strength one to another. In verses 14 through 17, he kind of outlines how they've given and how they've been strengthened as they give together. Paul says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintances with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me more money when I was in need. Not that I desire your, your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Paul's saying, you've given... I mean, you could read this and be a little sarcastic. Well, it's easy for you to say, Paul, they make these generous donations, and then he tells them, I didn't really need your donations. We're going to kind of just set that aside. We're going to trust Paul's uh, instincts here. 
He's saying that as they gave, the gospel was furthered. It's incredible because they kept giving and it allowed Paul to keep going. And we have a map of the early church. The thing I love about Philippians, it was the first church in Macedonia. It was a church that Paul didn't want to go to until in Acts, the Macedonian vision. And so Paul has one way he thinks life's going to turn out. Oh, man, raise our hands if that makes any sense. And he ends up in Philippi, plants a church there by a woman. Love that. God uses the outsiders. God uses the broken. God uses those, you know, least empowered to, to bring change. And then from Philippi, as they gave, the gospel set out. Do we have a map? Maybe it didn't make it into it. There, it's interesting if you just, you can Google this on your own. But Philippi was the first church. And from Philippi, thank you. Yeah, so this is Paul's second missionary journey. And what I want you to see is the upper corner there in Philippi, where the church is planted. As they gave, Paul continued to the south. And Paul, in every dot, is planting churches. We're always called to be planting churches to be planting the seed of Christ, that God would bless us in order to bless others. And so they've given in Philippi their friends. They were the first church, the early church, the good church. And Paul says, I would love to just stay here, but the gospel is calling me that new people might receive. And so Paul goes to Thessalonica. Paul ends up in Athens. He goes to Corinth. All of these are new churches. All of these are played out. These, you know, Half of these are, are, are scriptures that we have. None of them could have happened if Paul didn't go, and Paul is able to go because the, the, the Philippians gave generously. They, they committed to supporting the work of the gospel financially but relationally. They're on mission with Paul. So he's the missionary. They stay home, but together they're able to move the, the church. And I think that is so incredible that faithful and joyful participation in community moves the gospel. Faithful and joyful participation in community moves the gospel. The gospel is not moved, it says, by, by Paul's speaking ability. Though he was a good orator, he's a wonderful writer, of course. But as he goes, each new step was fueled by the community in Philippi who was standing behind him. And so in this, we can proclaim faithful and joyful participation in community moves the gospel. That as they gave, he moved. And as they participated, he was able to spread. And they were doing this together. They were learning together what God's best was for the entire region. And as we get to be a community loving each other, serving each other, participating with one another, the gospel is moved. God uses us. It's amazing. And we're not called to be like the YMCA, just kind of drop in, drop out, and, you know, based on some Christian values from the past. We're meant to be the community that Christ lives in us. And that as we participate one to another, that, that the gospel continues to be spread out in how we love. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, the best way to teach anything is to simply adore it. Do you love that? Like as we adore one another, as we adore Christ, the gospel moves. Because we're breaking down walls. We're loving people that we wouldn't normally be with. We're, we're saddled up with people that are in different experiences. And like We show up and the gospel moves. And we've got to change community to be this me first. What can I get out of this to how can I serve here? This is a message from the Church of Philippi. What they give us that their faithful and joyful participation is moving the gospel. As they're working and devoting themselves to the pursuit of Christ. Paul had said the same thing in Philippians 2.4, you know, commit yourselves to the lives of others. Look to the interest of others. Don't just go to church, like be a church. 
commit and love and serve and stick around, especially in your seasons where maybe you don't think, oh, I'm, I'm being fed. Maybe your job is to feed others. Maybe your job is to care for others. Maybe your job is to continue to pour out so that others can learn about Jesus in community. And I don't care where you go to church. I just care that you are part of a gathered community where if you're not there, somebody knows that you're missing and that you can participate in this work of adoring Christ together. Here at this church, we want you in. We want you known. We want you cared for. The community never comes without conflict or stress. I have the great joy of seeing behind the scenes in a lot of beautiful situations and some not-so-beautiful situations. And it reminded me of that big banyan tree in Lahaina, quite frankly, because it's awesome, and its roots are growing everywhere, and it's dropping seeds, and it has this legacy in the town, and you can't walk anywhere in that town without knowing about the tree. But the tree also bears stress in places. There's places where one branch has fallen off and it's propped up. There's places where there's been people carved in and graffiti. Like, let's not idealize the call to community. It's incredibly difficult because it's calling parts of me to die off in my pursuit of Christ's best one to another. Ask anyone in a small group in this room, and I know there's a bunch of you, and I know that there's a bunch of you that we would love to get in a small group because every small group has this life cycle we don't know each other. We love each other. This is amazing. And then we might hate each other. Will we stay together? But it's as you stay together that Christ is formed. When we moved to Seattle, we, we had been in a season of teaching and doing ministry in California. And we were frankly just tired. Like we just want to show up and just be fed somewhere. And we'd kind of walk into different churches and sit in the back and just like, yeah. You know, I give the worship a 7.2, teaching an 8.3. You know, it's like, we're just like consuming. And you know how it left me? Tremendously lonely, honestly. We bought a condo in Fremont. Uh, let's not paint the walls. We won't be here for long. Neighbors all around each other. Let's not invest. We don't know. We did, we were, I made this mistake of thinking, well, like, I'll wait to invest until I know that God's going to do this thing 10 years from now, blah, blah, blah. And I missed an opportunity. And I lost out. My life was more lonely because of that. And then this tension of community here from Philippians 2, Paul encourages the people continue to participate in the work of community now even while you're uncertain of what's next. And that brings us to our final point this morning about commitment. That Paul ends with this encouragement and this admonishment towards staying committed to what Christ is doing in you. Paul's still talking about the offering here in verse 18. He says, I've received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Again, about the offering. They're fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. They're pleasing to God. And then look at verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying, you, you, you're doing this work. You're, you're doing this, this contentment stuff. Keep on. And you're, you're practicing community. Stay committed because Christ is committed to you. And my God, says Paul, will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You must hold this intention with verse 12 that, that in the midst of plenty and in want, that again, God will do all things for us and through us, even in seasons where we might feel like we're lacking. But the promise is true, that my God will meet all your needs and Paul's encouraging the people of God here, as you participate, you will be the recipient. This was the promise. He's saying, commit this day 
to receive the grace of God and participate in God's work and the joy that we've been talking about, the, 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 the moving away from anxiety, the presence of more contentment, all of it grounded in a radical commitment to being a Jesus person rooted in Christ, content in who Jesus says I am. Content brings personal transformation and contentment brings this mutual commitment in the rootedness of Christ. Where do we start We start with saying today, I I know I can work on being more content. And so I just have three simple ways that contentment in our rooted identity in Christ can start today. I want to give you these three and then we'll finish up. First, I want to give you this is that we as a church, we can choose to be generous with our time and money now. I will be generous with my time and money now. Second, I will be grateful for what God has already given today. These are declarations for you to speak over your life. Grateful today, even while you wait for tomorrow. And third, I will choose not to focus on what others have or I do not yet have tomorrow. So much of our contentment actually is a matter of focus. And so we'll be generous and we'll be grateful and we'll be focused on the work of Christ as we live today for Jesus There is much work to do and heartache all around, but Paul's saying stay generous and grateful and focused, and that's where the contentment comes. At the end of your life, when you will celebrate all that's happened, what will be the song that you sing? What song will you sing as the way in which you've lived, where your beliefs were lived out in your hands and your feet? All of us as believers are moving the stuff we think about to the stuff that we can be about. And one of the most impressive displays of contentment happened for me and a man who mentored me in my college years. I've spoken about him before. His name was Jerry Sitzer. Wrote probably the best book on loss that's out there, Grace Disguised. He lost his mom and his wife and his daughter in the same car accident which he was driving. And here's a man that at his funeral to the three most important women of his life, he chose a hymn to be sung. The hymn was, It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. While they were putting to rest the people that he loved. How does that story end? How does that radical display of contentment in every situation end? I was able to have lunch with him in October, my wife and I, at homecoming of our college, 20-year anniversary. As we gathered at lunch, the joy in his life. He said, oh, you know, I'm married again, like many years later. I'm still teaching here, still pouring in the next generation, still serving my church community, still involved in a small group. I never gave up belief that God could redeem all things for his glory. And I'm so glad and lucky I didn't give up, Scott. Because you know what? It is well. That's contentment. That's what we press on towards. That's a model the scriptures say can sustain us and root us in a new life in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we we want that kind of faith. Lord Jesus, we're hungry this morning to be men and women, young and old, saying we want to be more content. Lord, we repent of ways we've confused our setting with our purpose. Lord, we repent of ways in which maybe 
Maybe we've been checked out. Maybe we've been distant from you or from others in community. And Lord, this morning, many of us in the room are ready to make a renewed commitment to loving you with, with our contentment, that we will declare what we believe and how content we actually are. Lord Jesus, make this a pursuit, a passion for us. Would you come alive in our lives? Would you give us, even while we wait for tomorrow, a radical contentment today? Because though we're wasting away and we know all sorts of situations, your life lives in us. But God, would you write that promise onto our heads and into our hearts this morning? You are greater than any jail cell we sit in. You are greater. So this morning we say yes and we receive the power of your Holy Spirit. As men and women, we, we, we work to receive that day in and day out. And if we fail today, Lord, give us the passion tomorrow. May contentment drive our call towards community. And may we be committed to your work in us and through us. Personal transformation, mutual community, living out the rootedness in you. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us?